This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Down the back stretch, Scott Dixon looking to set a record, but more importantly, looking to win the championship. And here he comes out of turn number four. Dixon with Elio and Briscoe. Who's going to win the race? The race goes to Cash Dixon. He gets him right at the stripe. So he wins the race and the championship and the million dollars that goes with it. Two by two, the front four. The field all tightly bunched together. Heading into turn three. On the final lap. Now Buddy Lazare comes up to take a look to the inside. And Unser Jr. and Hornets go to the line side by side. Unofficially, it's Hornets who takes the win. Boy, it was amazingly close. Hornets with his seventh career win. Hello, welcome. Thanks for staying with us and joining us tonight on the big program. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Mullenix in our Indianapolis studios on Monument Circle. It's the offseason, but the news ferry continues to deliver. Let's see. Among tonight's topics we'll discuss, the A.J. Foyt Racing lineup is set. We'll get into that. We've got a new location for IndyCar spring training and official spring training for the first time in a few years. And also something that could lead to a little bit more later down the line. Maybe, maybe Uh, the IMS test date for the Indy 500 next April is set. We got answers on the status of the Alex Pillow contract Uh, and a full lame duck season apparently is almost certainly ahead for him. And he's already competing with a rival team, or at least spending a lot of time with them. We'll get into that. Indy 500 full season is in, uh, silly season is in full swing. And we've got a couple more NASCAR Cup champions that would like to do the double. But are there any acceptable seats available for them? Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. If you have something for us on the program tonight, as the offseason moves along. By the way, before I forget, salute to Tony Kanaan, who did another Ironman at Kona this past weekend. It made me tired just thinking about it. Yeah, it does. I I know he's in incredible shape, but I think that takes uh, me beyond what I can comprehend finishing. So good for Tony. Good that it is Tony and not me or you. And I don't know which would be the most difficult. The swimming part would be challenging. How about all of them? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but, you know, I had I had an extended bike ride a couple of days ago, and I was sore for a couple of days. So, you know, those that uh, that seat on my rear end doesn't doesn't hold up quite as well as it used to. I mean, I, I think maybe I could have thought about doing a marathon I, i've done half marathons and a couple of them i finished and thought all right i got some more in me um i've never biked more than like 45 miles but i've never really tried maybe i, I think i could get to that but there's no way i could swim over two miles i i, I just couldn't four down and backs and, and then some people say no you'll figure it out i was talking to uh jordan taylor the uh, the corvette driver he's doing one his first full Ironman coming up soon with Spencer Piggott. They've been training for that, and he's never run a marathon. He's never biked that far. He's never swam that far, um, but he's done the half half Ironman before. So good luck to those guys. They are better than we are for that. All right, let's get into some news. Since we last spoke last Tuesday, 
you know, it, this is one of those where even though it's the off season, something happens every day and you'd like to kind of deal with this as they come and talk about the uncertainties. Well, we got some more AJ Foyt racing news last week that led to some more questions. That question has now, now been answered. Their two car lineup is now set for 2023. So we knew they were going to run Benjamin Peterson, the Indy Lights driver who won a race this year and and really has showed great promise at the Global Motorsports uh, Group with HMD. So Benjamin Peterson will be uh, spending his rookie season with AJ Foyt Racing. And then the day after our show last week, we find out that actually all of us found out. I, I knew that one was coming. That's one I... I had had a heads up on and Santino Ferrucci uh, will be in that car, the 14 uh, for AJ Foyt racing. And I think that's a really exciting venture. Uh, you know, Santino has showed particularly well at Indianapolis on the, on that oval and the other ovals. And I think his, uh, his, his characterness, uh, I guess you can say his, his energy and his enjoyment to be around is, is going to be fun to cover uh, on a regular basis. And so we'll see what he can make of the Foyt team. They've had some, some challenges in, in 2022, which we can discuss, uh, but this is a different lineup. And the third component, I suppose, to this driver lineup news is that Dalton Kellett announced today that he will not be with the team in move, moving forward 2023 and beyond he's been with the team i think what two years i don't think it's three but i think two years is right and so uh, dalton moves on and they still do have the possibility of a third car but uh, i don't see it happening at the moment so we'll we'll see how they line up with santino ferrucci and rookie benjamin peterson yeah dalton had two full-time years and then did most of the season in 2020 as well. From what Larry Foyt was saying last week on the teleconference, it's Dalton or no one in a third car that they're not interested in anyone else. And he also said they're not interested in a third Indy 500 program. The only way that they would do that is if it's a full-time program for Dalton Kellett. And then Dalton today confirmed that situation. You know, I think with, uh, I think it, it may be a mutual decision to some point uh, who, who knows the intricacies of that. If it's all right, Dalton, if we're going to run you, this is the amount of funding that's going to be needed. And this is what that program is going to be to look like, you know, for example, whether it's in Indianapolis or in Houston, that might be something that's important who the engineer is going to be so on and so forth. So, while Foyt may not have really wanted to run a third, they might've been willing if the price was right. So then if you're Dalton Kellett and his family, uh, then I think you look at, all right, is this a good investment for us? Is this program going to be worth what it takes? Maybe not. I, I think they could have been fine running a third car there. You know, I know there were some comparisons made, Hey, you know, the, the third car this year, it was really difficult finding people for, and what's that program going to be? Remember that that program came together in February, very late. If they were to have struck a deal when they talked last week and got something done now, and if it's properly budgeted, I, I think they could have had a competent program um, with some lead time, and, and that might have had some value with the team. So we'll never know whether it was, uh, sorry, there's no room, or if it's, 
you know, we've done this for two years. We finished last. The other car with a very heralded young driver finished next to last. Um, we're either going to find somewhere else or we're going to move to sports car racing or I'm just going to do something else with my life. You know, by the way, this driver has an engineering degree. He, he, he does not have to be a race car driver to find something to do with the rest of his life. I'd, I'd love to see Dalton give sports car racing a try. He's done it some. He's won multiple races in what was a very small LMP2 field a few years ago. There were two or three cars per race, and he won most of the races that he did. But I, I think he could be very uh, – I think he could. I don't know. I think he could be a good sports car driver. It's a different craft. It's about consistency and being smart and things that I think would be attributes for him. But it, it may be kind of IndyCar or nothing for Dalton, so he may simply move on. Maybe they do an Indy 500-only program. He's had more success coming up through Indy Lights and in IndyCar. His best finishes on Oval. He's been pretty pretty decent at the Indianapolis 500 Maybe that's something they look to do. We'll talk more about how this impacts the Indy 500. And I've already pretty much got a firm number of where I think we could stand. And there are very limited seats available for the 500, especially if Foyt is not going to do a third car. And by the way, when I start to look at the numbers, I believe them. They did an extra car last year because I think they were begged to do an extra car. And I don't believe they're going to need it to get to 33, potentially even to... 34 for this season so maybe right here we just kind of look again at what's still open what with now the two Foyt cars that are set what is still available for the drivers looking we know we have another card hunkos hollinger second car there well that's one and we know or we expect there will be there could be a fourth car at at uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, mm -hmm. so I think that's still one that that is up in the air. There has been some talk about a fourth at Arrow McLaren SP. Uh, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's, that's a twenty. Year, yeah, I think that's a twenty twenty four program. But there has been some talk of that. I guess when I say next year, I mean the the next silly season. <laughs> yeah, for twenty twenty four. <laughs> yeah right we uh we have to keep our silly season straight because they're they're starting to run together i wonder if yes, we're into 2025 20, yet uh you'll keep a list of the 2025 hopefuls uh <laughs> because uh we we actually need a list um i think those are the seats am i missing any i don't well we need to know what's well, going on with with dale coin we, we need don't to know, know either seat I'm, I'm sorry we know we know one seat 99 percent so you're telling me there's a chance. I, mean, uh, I, I think all David Malukas is going to be in their car. However, I can't say that with 100% certainty at this point until Ganassi has announced all their drivers. Um, I don't think we've seen a press release for David Malukas. Now, in fairness, I don't think they need to do a press release because he was signed to a multi-year contract. I don't remember what the release said originally, but it probably said multi-year contract. And all of the principals have said he's coming back. But if the two parties involved wanted to change that, they could. If Chip Ganassi wanted to buy out the contracts with Dale Coyne, with David Malukas, and David Malukas and his father, Henry, wanted to help subsidize that by bringing 
their sponsorship to Ganassi to help fund that ride while continuing to fund Dale Coin Racing, it could happen. Is it likely to happen? No, not at all. I would say it's highly unlikely to happen because I, I would think they feel like they're in a good situation there and there are just too many moving parts out of that. But there is a scenario where if enough parties wanted to make that happen, and if I'm Dale Coyne, you know, I know it's been mentioned that he's had drivers and has never let them out of contracts before. Well, has anyone ever offered a lot of money to get out of those contracts before? Maybe not. And you could potentially have two parties interested in that. Now, I don't think Chip Ganassi is going to pay directly to get David Malukas out of a contract. But on an aside, if David Malukas's father says, you know what, there is a seat available right now at one of the big teams, and there may not be in 2024, so we have to strike now, and business is going great. I'm collecting checks for my eight Indy Lights cars. Uh, the trucking business is going well. I'm going to write a check to Dale Coyne to get the driver out of that contract. And I, meanwhile, will uphold the agreements to be a co-entrant sponsor for Dale Coyne Racing because we have said we don't have to be linked forever. So we're just going to beat it by a year. I agree. All those things could happen. Uh, you know, but I don't think we'd won't. see. Yeah, <laughs> they, they probably, probably won't. won't. <laughs> But this is a radio show, and that's uh, we we at least need to acknowledge the possibilities that exist. And you know, until we see a, a like you said, a, until we see a Chip Ganassi fourth driver, then we can't rule anything out just yet. Uh, the other thing is, you, I don't know that you would you wouldn't necessarily see a press release about David Malukas, but I think we'll see a statement made by the team once they solidify who their two drivers are. Yeah. Uh, so it won't really be a, uh, be a press release per se, but I think they'll put out, you know, uh, at least a, an announcement that everything's lined up. We've got driver X in this car and driver Y in that car. And that's where you would see um, Malukas mentioned. And, and then we'll just have to see what Takuma Sato wants to do and can do and should do. Uh, you know, he tends to be, Seems to be year to year at this point in his career. I think he's still got gas in the tank. Uh, I still think he's a he's a driver that that a lot of teams uh, would like to have, particularly at Indianapolis. And and I could see him, you know, stepping away. I could see him running full time, and I could see him just running the Indy 500. But we'll have to see how it shakes out. I think he'll be with the team. That's my guess is he'll be with the team in 2023. There are rumors that his backing is not what it was uh so if you're dale coin racing you should want to be looking at the future and if you can't find a place for linus lundquist you know you you might lose david malukas in another year to ganassi or andretti or who knows errol mclaren uh for a fourth or fifth car or whatever you wouldn't mind having a young driver in and especially if HMD Trucking is willing to help subsidize that a little bit. But I, I could see a scenario where Sato is doing some races and Lundquist is doing some races and bringing that $500,000 scholarship to help that. And maybe he can find some other partners. So that potentially could be a shared ride. And 
the coin fortunes and whether they could run a third car because Dale and Henry Malukas have both said we'd be interested in a third car if they can get a Honda engine lease. Just to remind people, if they don't listen every week, uh, they are limiting that. And the only way one is available is if Ganassi only runs three cars. And I still think there's a chance that they run four cars. And as I've said before, that needs to be funded to some extent, because I don't think Ganassi is in a position where they can go out and just hire the best driver available to run that car. It's going to need a driver with some backing, but maybe not full backing. And here's been my theory. If Jimmy Johnson does stay with that program, it's in his best interest for that car to run full time, not just be a one-off there or somewhere else. And maybe Jimmy wants to do more than just the Indy 500, do a couple races. Can he convince Carvana? Is American Legion a part of that program and that car? It might depend on who the other drivers are, whether they're going to be involved. But I think that could be a scenario where, you know, normally to, to get a ride, if it was a fully paid ride, a fully paid for ride, meaning the driver is responsible for funding that car at Ganassi, that's probably $8 million. That's the money and the number that would be asked for for someone that is a quote ride buyer. Now they're not taking just a ride buyer. If you know, if you want to use that as a, a negative term, I don't necessarily consider that a negative term in this sense. They are looking for a driver who can fund the seat and also is pretty decent, you know, can add to the program. They're not taking anyone that can come up with $8 million that's driven an IndyCar before. It's going to be someone that they think is pretty good. So that number can go down. It's not necessarily $8 million. Say Carvana is putting 2 or $3 million towards that. And then an, a, a driver with some talent uh, can come up with another couple of million. Then maybe you're in the ballpark where, okay, we didn't quite get the $8 million we're looking for, but we're pretty close. We want to keep the program together. We've got these employees that we like. So that's the scenario there where a lot of things are in play. And, you know, I've thrown out that maybe a, a Lundquist is somebody that's a possibility for that car moving forward. And Ryan Hunter Ray, maybe. Um, from chatting with Ryan a little bit, Petit Le Mans, I didn't get the sense from him. Now, maybe he's just playing coy. Uh, I think he does have some optimism about the Indy 500, but I didn't get the sense that he was super optimistic about doing a lot more than that. And I hope I'm wrong on that. But he would yeah. be someone, if, if, if Jimmy and American Legion and Carvana are going to fund someone then for, for some races, and here's the other problem. I think Ryan would want the Indy 500. You know, if Jimmy's then it would be up to what would Ganassi run a fifth car, which they did this year. So they could, but that would probably be a requirement for Ryan. I would think that, you know, doing four non Indy 500 races in a part time situation it doesn't do him any good at this point. Do you have any sense for Ryan Hutter Ray, though, at Hunkos? Do you, at Hunkos Hollinger seat? He's not going to bring the budget that, that they need. I don't I know. I mentioned that as well. And, I, uh, I don't remember exactly what his response was, but I came away thinking, yeah, that's probably not it as well. And and what I'm also hearing, now I wouldn't rule that out. I, I basically think is he he doesn't know, but for now, most people think that that seat requires budget. 
And this might have been kind of a one-way conversation. It was, hey, if Brad Hollinger decides uh, we're going to go out and hire the best driver available, then there might be something there. And then it would be up to Ryan to decide, is that program, do I want to do it? You know, what's the salary? It, it, frankly, it's a job. It's a job interview. Am I going to be happy doing this? Uh, if if it's if you're Ryan Hunter Ray, unless they're just overpaying you and paying you at the same level as you were at the peak of your career, and that's probably not likely to be the case. Most teams are going to say, hey, we're offering you a free ride. We're not asking you to bring anything. So you're not making a million dollars a year. You're making a lot less than that. So then it becomes a choice of, all right, what do I want to do? Can I be a top 10 driver in this car? I, I think you probably can. Uh, what's it going to be in the Indy 500 as well? That was a little tougher sledding, and they could really use someone right like Ryan Hunter Ray there. But I would think he's in the conversation, and that's being somewhat debated internally. This is a story that we'll get to later on when we get to the more news of the day. But I'm starting to wonder about Ryan Hunter Ray in the fourth Arrow McLaren SP car. When Zach Brown says that we're looking for experience, and you know, I told you what I said last week coming from a source uh, who I would say is probably closer on the Montoya side of things. Basically, I don't think Montoya is an option for them anymore. And we all took that to mean, well, they're going to go get Kyle Busch. Now, Zach Brown is somewhat saying Kyle Busch is not an option because we want a veteran in that car. That's where I come to. It's either going to be Tony Kanaan or Ryan hunter Ray. And for Kanaan, it may come down to if Ganassi doesn't want to run five and Jimmy is there, he now needs to find somewhere to go. Kanaan's a perfect fit. And if the Kyle Busch no has to do with the color of the car, this would be the second time. Uh, a McLaren car didn't get on track because of the color of the papaya orange. You know, the story there is, I think Jenna Fryer, the Associated Press, put that out there first, that John Menard is interested. And, you know, for it to be a Menard car, it has to be all yellow. And apparently that's a, a no, a hard no from McLaren, um, which I guess you have the right to do. Well, I don't know. It, that's different business in motorsport. You have the right to do that if you're not asking for any money, if you're just hiring and you are the sponsor. But that kind of limits you in this business if you're not going to cater to what the sponsor wants. So good luck to you. Well, it, and it's not uh, not only it's your preference, but I mean, you're denying the money that's going to come from John Menard, which stands to be pretty reasonable here, <laughs> pretty hefty for an Indy 500 program. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's a strange, strange maybe world more we live in. When, yeah, maybe maybe there is yeah. an amount of money that you can make the car yellow and that's over a million dollars. But if it's three or four hundred thousand dollars, which would be a discount on a primary for a good Indy 500 program. So there, there's probably a little more to it than they just refuse to change the, the paint scheme of the car. And it may come down to, we're going to say that to some extent, but you know, that might be just fully the truth. We believe we can win the Indy 500. We have uh, two drivers who have finished up near the front in our cars. Felix Rosenquist finished what fourth last year. Pato award has been great the last two years. And we've got a new guy who's won the race and has been great every year in Alexander Rossi let's don't try to teach someone how to drive at the Indy 500. Let's go out and win the thing. 
So that's solid reasoning as well. And then it's an additive if you're bringing on Tony Kanaan or Ryan Hunter Ray, who are just plug and play operators who would also have a chance to win and certainly would not take away from your program. They would help it. Yeah. And you've got a guy by the name of Craig Hampson, who's been pretty good at Indianapolis as well on the engineering side. So there's all kinds of reasons to like that. And, and keep in mind, Zach Brown, while he wants to do a lot of things in motorsports, I mean, winning a formula one championship would be tops, but winning the Indy 500 isn't too far behind for that, that American. I mean, he'd like to win that event. And yeah. so you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't want anything that deter, detracts from, from that goal. And I suspect we'll see them in victory lane pretty soon, even if it's not in 2023. I think think that program clearly on the rise, clearly has drivers that can win it, clearly has a crew that can win it. And uh, I think uh, that'd be a team you'd certainly want to consider in, in 2023 and, and 2024. So maybe we go to that coming up next. We'll talk about what's been discussed concerning an extra McLaren entry. And then I just kind of jotted some things down about where things stand for the Indy 500. I know we're a long way away from that, but uh, I think the Indy 500 seats are going to be settled maybe by Thanksgiving this year. I I think it's getting close. So uh, I jotted this down the other day. We'll take a look at that coming up in a moment and what's realistic and what's out there and plenty more coming up. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. All right. It's uh, October, but we're already going to think about the Indianapolis 500 because seats be a dwindling. For the field of 33, and as I did some math today, I did come up with what I think is, um, I would say, a, a pretty realistic chance of 34, because you have to start with teams. Don't don't think about as drivers that are qualified. Uh, it's got to be teams at this point willing to do it and the ability to get an engine from Honda and Chevy. Now, first... We'll start with this. We talked in the last segment a little bit about um, Aero McLaren SP and uh, some availability in the last week with select media. I wasn't selected to be a part of that, but that's okay. I really don't have a whole lot of a platform other than this right now. So good on them sitting through those calls. And I can just kind of read the uh, Cliff Notes version afterwards. But this was not from that. This was from Jenna Fryer's Twitter from the Associated Press, who found Team Penske president Tim Sendrick uh, at the NASCAR race, I'm guessing, over the weekend in Charlotte. And she notes that Tim Sendrick confirms that Team Penske spoke with Menards about a fourth car at Indy and declined. Menard has confirmed he's got money put aside and wants to do a program with Kyle Busch, but is adamant it must be Menards colors, and that's not papaya, so there's the McLaren snag. Jen also says, Sendrick says Penske would only do a fourth car if the car had a legitimate chance to win and did not dilute the effort in existing three cars. Quote, if you just want to do Indy as an adventure, that's not with us. And Penske's already decided uh, there will be no fourth Indy 500 car this year as the organization prepares for WEC, the World Endurance Championship. That's the the series that uh, contests the Le Mans 24 hours, IMSA, and then also Le Mans. And by the way, the week after the Indy 500, actually, within a matter of a few days, they need to be at Le Mans preparing because that event starts the Detroit IndyCar weekend. So there's that. 
blunt and harsh, but very fair. And I think very accurate from his team's perspective, Kurt. Yeah, I think so too. I I think that should be their approach. I mean, Mm -hmm. Roger Penske, you know, he's got, he's got other things to concern himself with, with the series and the track ownership, but fielding a fourth car for the sake of, of enjoyment isn't one of them. He's into winning the Indy 500. And quite honestly, they've not been great the last two years at the racetrack, maybe even three. So, you know, focusing on the guys that can deliver an Indy 500 win, Joseph Dugarden, Will Power, and Scott McLaughlin, that's what they should do. I mean, you know, I'm always for for extra cars. I'm always for excitement with a Kyle Busch or – you know, an extra driver that comes from NASCAR to run the Indy 500 or the double. But, but if I'm team Penske, I, I, I would function from a different uh, point of view. And I understand that point of view. And, um, you know, Ganassi and a Penske, uh, they should, they should be in the business of winning the Indy 500. And, and I think some other teams are starting to act like that a little bit too. It's not about extra cars. It's not about, you know, whether we have 34 or 36, it's about, can we win the Indy 500? Which gets us to when people ask, why are there not 35, 36, 37 cars? That's one of them right there. If you're a full-time program with sights on winning the race, adding a one-off does not usually help that cause. There are scenarios where it can. If you're able to hire a Ryan hunter Ray or a Tony Kanaan, it does help your cause. And there are others in that category as well. I think what Cindric's comments also tell us is because I think a lot of us, and including some people who are close to the Penske camp, their opinion was this after Penske Entertainment took over the series, that there's going to be the competition side of things, and then there's going to be the Penske Entertainment side of things who is going to encourage the team to do things that are in the best interest of the series or the Indy 500. And there was a theory that they would have to suck it up if needed in certain circumstances, if it was for the greater good and certainly putting Kyle Bush or Kyle Larson, who we'll get to in one of your cars in the race would be seen as helping the overall show. But this shows that no, they're still operating separately and Roger Penske and Penske entertainment are going to let Tim Sendrick make the decisions that he thinks are best. And it's the way that Roger Penske operated that team for many, many years. Does this help us win the Indy 500? No. Okay. Decision made. We're not adding an extra car. Now, having said that, uh, you know, if Kyle Larson or Kyle Busch is either one of those are, you know, right there at the finish line, but no other team is available to do it. I I still think Roger could, you know, help make the decision uh, for Tim Sendrick. Now I'm saying it would take extraordinary circumstances. Like there's no chance of another car, being available to those drivers and the drivers willing to do it. You can't miss an opportunity to run Kyle Larson if all the other factors have lined up, but we're not there yet. That's my point. We're not there yet. And it's not Thanksgiving yet based on, on your timeline. And I think you're right. And as I've said before (laughs) on this show, uh, Brian Barnhart and I used to have conversations the week before Christmas about how many cars do we have at this point. And, uh, you're, you may be well ahead of that in your timeline of, of Thanksgiving being pretty well all the cars spoken for. It, it's probably Christmas, but I think they're going to be down the road by Thanksgiving, and it may not be announced by Christmas, 
but I think those involved are going to know. And then we may not officially learn of it until we get to sometime after the new year, there becomes a point late in December where they don't often announce things. Boy, that would be something because I'll be honest. I'm not sure that I see a path for Kyle Larson, who, who made it clear by the way, this week that he is interested and he's waffled on that. There have been times that he was, then he said he wasn't. Um, and then it was, well, Rick Hendrick won't let me do it. And what he said, I believe this past weekend was they didn't want me to do it this first year, maybe because of the, the new car, but now I have permission to do it, but he needs to find somewhere to be. It presumably also needs to be a Chevy program, just like Kyle Bush. So paging Ed Carpenter, Ed, how many cars can you run in the Indy 500? Well, um, I think I think the happiest person to know that Kyle Larson is interested, given that Kyle Bush is also interested, is Ed Carpenter, because I think he's got some leverage here. If somebody wants to pony up and do this right, Ed Carpenter would be a great place to do it. They've got experience. They've had fast cars. Chevy has been good. Uh, they've shown the ability to add a a superstar, if you will. And I know Danica Patrick may not fit everyone's description of a superstar, but a superstar also means comes with a lot of hype and following and intrigue. So they could do this. And I think they're capable of it. So Ed might be the one who's most excited to have multiple superstars interested in competing in this race. And by the way, I believe i can recall ed driving a yellow menards car at different times absolutely different absolutely. types of cars indy car was that maybe on his indy lights car i think i've seen it on some of his uh, uh short track cars before so i don't know what the relationship with the family is right now but i know at times it's been really good and i have no reason to think that it's not still really good i'm certain that ed still has his phone number so <laughs> yes he does <laughs> And I, I can't imagine the relationship not being good. Who doesn't get along with Ed Carpenter? No one. Everyone gets along with Ed Carpenter. Think. I thought you were going to say who doesn't get along with John Menard. And, and I don't know John that well. I don't, I, do, I don't know John that well. I do. And I can think of some circumstances that didn't go well. So yeah. let's just uh, <laughs> let's leave it at that. Well, and, uh, maybe it's the other side. Uh, <laughs> but that that just makes a lot of sense. And as we said before, even forgetting about the connections, you could pretty easily say, if you're looking to place someone, that's where I would choose. I think that's a, a more certain situation than Aaron McLaren or uh, frankly, than Penske right now. Penske has not been super strong the last three years. The race cars have been pretty good, but they just have not had the outright pace to give you a chance to start up in the top 10 or 12 you know you've got a chance to start up front with Ed Carpenter's team. Do you really think the race cars have been good at Indianapolis from the team? I think they've, they've certainly been better than the qualifying cars. I, I believe they've raced pretty decently uh, for each year. They've had one car that's been able to make their way forward, but it's just a little bit difficult when you start that far back. They've not been great, and I don't think even if you would have magically place them starting fifth i doubt they were still good enough to win but they were better they're not my recollection and from talking to people smarter than me has been that the race cars are not that far off and one of those sources are the drivers who have been honest that we just don't have had the outright pace for qualifying but the race car has been okay well 
and again, okay is, uh, I like to compare that to what your standard is and their standard by okay is not okay. That's right. That's right. And, and honestly, if you're, if you're Kyle Larson or Kyle Busch, neither of them would think Ed Carpenter racing. I don't think if they've done any research and, and I know they have, or will have Ed Carpenter racing is not seen as a step down based on, you know, again, I don't have the stats in front of me. If they ask anyone, yes. If they ask anyone. Yeah. If they've, if they've uh, gone back and done their research and I haven't done it here in the last 18 months, but it's something like, you know, Ed Carpenter's had, let's say over the last six years have had like nine or 10 cars in the fast nine, you know, in the top nine. So they've had fast cars and we know that Ed's car, Ed's won the pole and, and, uh, and Renus VK has qualified well and Ed Carpenter's led the race and, you know, there. Spencer Piggott and Danica Patrick. Absolutely. And Joseph Newgard when he was there. So let's get a number here. Here's what we have for the Indy 500. We have 27 full-time cars, 12 Chevys. Uh, that, that is full-time three Penske, three arrow McLaren, two Ed Carpenter racing confirmed two Foyt. And I'm saying two Hunkos Hollinger, even though we don't know the second driver we have, I'm going to say 15 Hondas, even though there's kind of an asterisk by there, because we don't know whether it's three or four Ganassis or two or three coins, but I'm, I'm counting between the two of them, six. So if there's four Ganassis, there's going to be two coins. If there's three Ganassis, there's going to be three coins, if that makes sense. So I've got 15 with Ganassi, coin, four at Andretti, two at Shank. Uh, and three at Ray Hall Letterman Landing. So that's 27. Here are the extras on the Chevy side. I'm going to say Errol McLaren is going to run one for either Canaan or Hunter Ray, or maybe they can work out a color scheme for Kyle Busch or Kyle Larson or Jimmy Johnson or, or somebody else. Uh, there's definitely going to be one more at Ed Carpenter because that did not include Ed Carpenter. So there's one there and maybe a second. Now, here's a snag, though, potentially. Have they already done a deal for Simone Di Silvestro? Could they run a fifth car? Uh, so that that's to be determined. But I'm going to say one for now at Ed with a possibility of two. So that would get us up to 30 if we count that at two. Dryan Reinbold is going to run one or two. Now, one of their drivers from last year, Santino Ferrucci, is no longer available. So that puts us at either 31 or 32 right there. And I'm going to have to go back and count up where we stand on the Chevy, but that probably taps them out. On the Honda side, um, I don't know whether Ganassi would run a fifth if they run a fourth full-time or not. So there may be one or zero from the Ganassi side. I am going to go ahead and pencil in a fifth for Andretti. I don't think they'll do a sixth unless it's a special circumstance. And by the way, Kurt, we don't think Kyle Larson or Kyle Busch can run a Honda. Maybe they could, um, but probably not, since there is a Chevy also in the race. They're probably not going to be allowed to do that. But Andretti's going to run one for Marco Andretti. And then here's the extra one that gets us to 34 or maybe even 35 if Ed is running four cars. I could see Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan running a fourth car. I don't know where I've gotten this, but I think I've heard rumblings of that over the last year 
that, and maybe it's even been publicly stated somewhere, but I, I can see that as a possibility. And that's why I don't see anything else happening. Um, best of wishes to all of those fledgling programs trying to get things started. But next year is not the year to do it because you're not going to make the race. So the Cusick uh, Motorsports, that would be one where, you know, you'd you'd think I'd give that a little more weight than it just exists. I mean, to your point. But of I a think new they team. will. Par- I think they would partner with another established team. Like they Ray might, Hall? huh? Like Ray Hall? Maybe. Um, what about Dryer and Reinbold? And that and, might be a way for Dennis to run two well-funded cars, because I think Santino brought a little bu- bit of budget to them, so they're probably going to need some budget help if they are going to run two cars. You know, Cusick Motorsports might enlist Dragon Speed personnel again, and it could be a combined effort. But I doubt that they're going to try to do something fully on their own. They're going to want to be with an established team. You know, I think Foyt would have been a possibility, but I, I tend to believe Larry when he says we're sticking it too. And I think you can make a strong case on all counts that that makes sense. They got bumped a couple of years ago with Charlie Kimball. Um, they ran, they supplied the car, I think last year for dragon speed and Cusick, correct? Yes, I believe. Yeah, so they they were somewhat involved in that, and that was a bit of a challenge as well. But luckily, there were, and that's putting it mildly, there were only 33 cars. I think it would make sense for them to hold firm at two cars, especially, which is what they wanted to do last year. Um, Or were they already at, they were already at three, so they ran a fourth because they had Jerry Hildebrand in their third car. They only did it because they were asked to do it because they needed it to get a 33rd. I don't think anyone's going to need to do that. I find somewhere at 34 or 35, so an easy 33, that are going to want to field a car this year. I don't believe that's going to be any kind of a challenge to piece something together last minute and everyone beg for someone to run a car. I think they're now, – now, will the engine suppliers do this? Because that's asking for 18 and 17. So here, i tell you what, during the break, I'm going to count that up again because I had only counted originally. I didn't count up what that is for each manufacturer. And I think they probably have a pretty hard count on that. Um, so we'll get into that in just a moment. And Kurt has come up with a quiz for us for the next hour that we'll do. I think will be fun. And plenty more on the way that we haven't even touched on yet. We've got spring training. We'll explain what's going on there all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, short segment to finish up the hour, and let's finish up um, silly season for the Indy 500. And there is math in this case, and we did did some adding um, and kind of looking at it. You know, I think, Kurt, questions would be where do things stand for available engine leases? And I know people always ask that. Well, wait a minute. Why can't you get as many engines as you want? Um, you know, it it costs the engine manufacturers. They, they apparently lose money on every engine that they field. And it's also the last year of that engine. So I don't know that everyone is super inclined to add more. They probably would for the right circumstances. But I think it's probably going to work out uh, that 
all of the efforts that would be likely to make the race are going to be able to have an engine. There are a couple of questions, though. So I came up with potential 16 or 17 for Chevy on their side, and then 17 or 18 on the Honda side. And kind of the questions would be, would an extra Ganassi or an extra coin be allowed? For example, if Ganassi's three and coins three, could Ganassi run a fourth if only the 500 was the only plan for Jimmy Johnson? Or if Ganassi is four full-time and coin wants to run a third, would that be a possibility? Maybe. But would that and a fourth for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, if indeed they do want to do that, would that be an option there to go along with the extra for Marco? That's how you would get up to 18 in that category. And then on the Chevy side, you know, I think one question for Dryer and Reinbold is, is there a second engine for them? Now, they ran it last year, so they probably get first dibs. So then it may just be a matter of how soon do they have, do they, if they do indeed, have a second car finalized? So they might give them some time on that. They might. They might. But as I, as you've well pointed out, I think everybody's going to know that pretty quickly. And, and by the extras on the Chevy side, we've got an extra at Aero McLaren SP, probably two at Ed Carpenter Racing. And if somebody's going to add an extra injury engine, if that's for Kyle Larson or Kyle Busch, then that's probably going to happen. Uh, and then it's an extra one or two for Dryer and Reinbold. If Honda is willing to run 18 and Chevy is willing to field 17, which I think they would, that gets us to potential 35 entries which would be fantastic, and they'd all be legit entries. What would really be fantastic if this Aero McLaren SP would take a Larson or Bush and let Carpenter have, well, not let Carpenter have, but Carpenter would have the other one. I think we'd have a real interesting situation on our hands, but, you know, the Zach Brown Aero McLaren SP doesn't sound like it's going to be one of those two guys, so... We'll just we may we may just have to settle if and I'll use the word settle, but for one of the two. And I'm not sure there's a path for both both of the Kyles next year. Yep. That's what if I'm they can't at. run a Honda, if you know, if if one of them could run for Ray Hall Letterman, or for one of them, I think Andretti would consider a sixth car, and I think Honda might field it for them, but I'd be surprised if that's going to be an option at this point. So that's where it stands, you know, before doing some math. I've been under the impression that, hey, it's going to be 33, and that's going to be it. And maybe when we do some more digging and some people will say, no, this is why this is not going to happen, maybe it will end up being 33. But I'm just telling you here today, I see a path to 34, potentially 35, and I think that's being clear-minded and realistic because we were both, while people this time last year were saying, oh, there's going to be 38, maybe 40, I know we were on the early side of that as saying, no, it's going to be around 34 or so. And it turns out it was only 32. And they had to squeeze hard to get a 33rd out of that. Um, but I do see a path. So that that's cool. And we're going to see uh, cars on track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the Oval, April 20th and 21st. We'll get into the other dates of off-season testing. Some interesting questions to ponder 
and a little bit about what's going on in NASCAR, if we have time, too. Uh, that's been interesting. Uh, in the past, no one was willing to say a whole lot. Now, they found a little bit of courage to challenge the establishment. I've got a theory on that, too. Stick with us. More to come. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, Trackside, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. In our studios, Josh Molinix is there. I'm here. My name is Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is there, and you know where you are. By the way, we're going to see if the key cards work coming up again next week and make a trip down to Monument Circle. Kurt, special in-studio guest, our friend, our former legal analyst for this program, who has found much better work now. Otherwise, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Doug Bowles, will be in studio at 7 o'clock next Tuesday night. Uh, it'll be fun because uh, we can go to, to a variety of different topics with Doug, and and it doesn't have to be all business. He enjoys a good uh, fireside chat, so to speak. So it'll be fun. Uh, Doug will stay as long as uh, we keep him. We'll probably keep him the first hour and, and let him go home and finally get some rest uh, from his day job. I told him he only needed to stay a half hour. So we'll leave that. We'll leave that up to him because uh, I think even though it's the off season now, uh, I'm going to guess there's still a lot going on. By the way, it was my first off weekend in a little while. So what did I do? I went to the racetrack, had fun on Saturday afternoon at the Indy 8 hour. I will admit, so I got there about 930 in the morning. I didn't make it to dark. I made it six and a half hours in and decided I was ready to go home for dinner so i didn't see it but i I went home and flipped on the youtube broadcast with our our buddy uh, ryan marine and calvin fish and bob varsha of the um the gt indy eight eight hour race finished in the full dark that looked really cool it was dark for a good 20 30 minutes it did look cool and and much of the front straightaway had had been lit uh through the pylon and and through the scoreboards and just the lights on the on the garages and so forth. So uh, that was uh, it was a good visual, even though it wasn't technically under the lights. Um, that that event doesn't get a lot of notoriety, but if you're a sports car fan, and I had peaked at an entry list, but I, I went and walked by the uh, autograph session. I looked over and well, I know him and I know him. There are a lot of names there. These were legit. This was a a mostly pro event. There were some amateur drivers there as well. But if you're a sports car fan, there were a lot of uh, GTD drivers and some pros that you would be very familiar with and some former Indy 500 drivers uh, in this event. So hopefully that continues to find a really good place. I'm pretty sure it's set for next year. And that will be along with the, the full WeatherTech race coming up in September next year. But I think the Indy eight hour is set for October of next year as well. So good stuff. I I like as many events as we can find at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Before we get into some things that you've prepared, I do want to mention something we've talked about a little bit before, but there are going to be Indy cars on track the next couple of days at Sebring. And Steve Wittick at Trackside Online has uh, documented all who's going to be there. I told you about Tom Blunquist is going to get a go in the Meyer Shank racing car. Uh, And this is not, as I mentioned at the end of last week's show, I talked to Tom and I talked to Mike Schenck. This is not just a reward for having a nice season in the sports car. It's a legit trial. This kind of goes back to, hey, nobody was really thinking 
about the series that Robbie Wickens was running in. Uh, we tried him, and he was really, really good. So maybe we find someone else that just didn't get the chance. And Tom Blumkus was some one of those uh, sort of on the path to Formula One, winning at the junior formula level in the UK and ended up going into sports cars. Well, he had been more of a GT driver until this year in a prototype and has been really, really fast in that car. And a lot of people think he'll be good in an Indy car. It's not like he's going to do this and he's going to get hired, but there might be a seat available or maybe they go to three cars in 2024. But this is a legit first step seeing if Tom Blunquist might be good in an Indy car for Meyer Schenck Racing. Jake Dennis, who's been in Formula E for Andretti Autosport, is going to be in their car. Uh, we've talked about Augustine Canapino is going to be in the Hunkos Hollinger Racing car. Yuri Vips has won multiple races in F2. He's from Estonia. He's going to be in a Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing car. So, you know, again, even if you don't necessarily have a seat for next year, you still always want to evaluate. And in some cases, you know, I know this is how the junior formula world works, and I know it works this way in some cases for IndyCar programs. I don't know if that's the case for Ray Hall Letterman, but it's a revenue stream. You're charging young drivers for the chance to show what they can do. So it is a way to create revenue and a reason to keep all of your employees employed. And, and these teams do these days, but you know, it, it might be a legit evaluation or it might be, Hey, they've got a spare 75 grand. I haven't looked up. I don't know what the cost of an Indy car test is, but it's probably something in that range and they're paying for it. And then maybe the team also says, Oh, not only did this kid, and his family pay for this or his backers, but he's actually pretty good. We've got him on the list. I've mentioned Marcus Armstrong before that I've heard his name come up with several teams. He is an F2 race winner, uh, and he is going to be with Dale Coyne racing tomorrow. And then Daniel Frost is also going to be uh, in a Dale Coyne car, I think on one of the days by himself. So I think this is kind of spread out over Wednesday and Thursday. So we'll look for things on social media about that now season over already looking ahead to next season kurt has come up with a variety of questions to kind of help review things and also look ahead so the floor is yours yeah well i thought i thought we would do this uh just kind of more as a recap as some some topics that we didn't come up with you know a few weeks ago when we were kind of bringing this up i guess i would probably start with with what the signature moment of the season was uh, if you're going to think about this season, you know, five years from now, what's the moment that, that you think defined the season? Uh, it was not on track. It was two teams announcing the signing of the defending champion on the same day. That was uh, my number one signature moment for this season. So I and think if it needs to be on the track, I'm going to say it was Colton Hurtis save in the wet and then winning the race at the uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix, the one in May. So that that was pretty spectacular. And I agree with you that Pelot is going to be the one that was just bizarre enough that that you carry with you and you just say, how did that happen? Do you remember the time when when uh, one I do. Driver... I'm sitting right where I'm sitting right now? <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I knew the answer to my uh, statement there, but. But uh, that'll be a, a moment that we don't forget. But I think the signature moment of the season was 
was when Scott Dixon dominating the Indy 500 uh, caught speeding uh, yeah. at entrance of pit road. That not only changed the Indy 500, that that affected the championship as well. Now, who knows how it would have all, um, you know, figured out, but that cost him the, the Indy 500 and the season championship. So I think that was kind of the signature moment for me, but I agree with you. Pelo's the story that we'll remember. I can't argue with that. No, that that's it. That's the one. That's more than just the highlight of the season. That is the one, two seconds that had the biggest impact on that season because that's a, what, 60, 70-point swing. Uh, Dixon may not have won the race. Maybe Pelo wins it uh, if he doesn't get caught out by the yellow. Maybe Erickson still wins it because all the Ganassi cars – we're really strong, but you're right. That two seconds right there, not getting slowed down two seconds earlier is what cost Dixon the 500 and what very likely cost him the championship. So let me ask you this. Who was a bigger surprise this year, Christian Lungard or David Malukas? David Malukas, because, and I will just base this on, we both picked Christian Lungard as the rookie of the year. So I think we expected more of him and he was the rookie of the year, but I don't know that as many people expect, I don't think we expected David Malukas to finish second on an oval or yeah. even fifth. And, and even though if you look back, so let, me, let me dig him up here. You know, I don't know that we would look at Malukas's race to race results and say it was overwhelming and unbelievable just the body of work though there were just a number of weekends we came away being super impressed and i'll start with his first oval race at texas finished 11th he survived he was the highest finishing rookie um he was the top finishing rookie at the indy 500 he had a pretty decent day at detroit made the firestone fast six as a rookie on a quote smaller team that is a smaller team. That's not a knock of Dale coin racing, but they don't have the same budget. They don't have as many employees as everyone else. What else? Mid Ohio qualified eighth, finished ninth, qualified fifth at Toronto, fell back a little bit in the race, but I remember him running with Joseph Newgarden in that particular race. That was another weekend. Uh, the, the Iowa race finishing eighth there in the second half of the double header mentioned the the gateway race worldwide technology raceway finishing second so you know what that's a half a dozen really impressive performances by a driver that didn't win the indy lights championship showed well last year but i'm not sure a lot of people you know the hype was on kyle kirkwood we knew it was going to be tough for kyle with that team but it, I, I think most people expected kyle to certainly finish higher in the points than david malukas did yeah, I agree with you on Malukas. I I think it was uh, a close battle for which was a bigger surprise because the Ray Hall team didn't didn't have its stuff in 2022. And so for Lundgaard to do what he did in a season when the team was not on its best uh performance level that I think that that really factors into it. But I agree with you. I think if we go into the start of the season, it's Malukas. So yeah, gonna... it makes sense if you say after the fact, you could probably go back and say Lungard's season was better than what it shows on paper because of how he compared to his veteran teammates. But you know, looking at it coming in, well one, we expected more from Ray Hall Letterman landing and racing and from what he did at Indianapolis, we thought, yeah, this, this guy's pretty good. He might do something. And he did. 
So I like to sometimes preview IndyCar.com's roundtable, which comes out every Wednesday. And tomorrow the question is, uh, so far four seats have been announced. The new seats, I guess I should say, or new drivers in seats. Alexander Rossi at Aero McLaren SP, Kyle Kirkwood at Andretti, Santino, Ferrucci, and Benjamin Peterson at AJ Foyt Racing. As it stands right now in October, which of those four is most intriguing to you? That's a really good question. And it's it could be an entire segment. Because I could make a case, you know, if I wanted to be on one of the ESPN talking head shows, I would just randomly, we could have four people and we could all pick one. And I think you could make a strong case for any of them. I am, and I'm, I am going to pick one, but I'm going to make my case for each one quickly. I'm fascinated to see what Alexander Rossi does this year with this team, with these resources, with these teammates, all the dynamics, You've got a new leader from within uh, and the loss of Taylor Kyle. How is that going to impact things? All of us for the last two and a half, three years have said Alexander Rossi is way better than what these results have shown. I think he's going to reaffirm that this year, but where's this going to end up? Uh, Fantastic to watch that play out. Kyle Kirkwood had a learning season. We knew it was going to be tough, some of the crashes, I'm not, I don't believe they were his fault. Some though were. How much did he learn? How much is Andretti going to benefit from those teething pains getting them out of the way on someone else's dime? From where he was this year, next to last among full timers and only better than his teammate, you know, you could say, oh, this is going to be tough for Andretti. But he has familiarity with this program. The program. Yes, they don't have the veteran drivers. In fact, they only have next year one driver that's won an IndyCar race, Colton Herta, all of, what, 22 or 23 years old. Um, In fact, Kyle's about the same age as he is. I think Kyle, I could see this going either way. I could see him struggling to 14th or 15th. I could see him finishing sixth in the championship. So when you have that big of a disparity of what to expect, that's going to be fun to watch. We all have every year, and this this I can kind of include both of these drivers in the next. For the last 15 years, we have, um, I think, gone into each offseason looking for some positivity and saying, this is going to be the year for A.J. Foyt Racing. They've got it figured out. They're on the right path, and they're going to go in, in a positive direction. And there have been some years where they have improved. But there's nowhere to go than up right now when you're last and next to last. And Santino Ferrucci has been an exciting driver that, you know, realistically didn't come in with a lot of credentials. He was a beyond mid-pack driver in what? F3, F2? He was in F2. He was 17th or 18th, I think, in F2 points, GP2 at the time. Was not highly regarded and impressed in the few opportunities that first very partial season and really wowed some people the next year. He's also good for the series in that he's a bit polarizing. That Some people love him, some people do not. And many people get tired of hearing the TV announcers talk about him because he is interesting. That's why he gets talked about, because he's interesting. Can he revitalize that team? It's going to be up to him. Benjamin Peterson had a strong finish to his Indy light season. 
But the argument will be there that, oh, you know, he wasn't first or second or third in the Indy Lights championship, and he's going to the worst team statistically. That's going to be tough for him. But they do have some stability now, and more importantly, they have some financial resources that I think can move them forward. I give them a chance to move up a little bit. But to the answer to your question, if I'm giving an answer, it's Alexander Rossi. He could win the championship this year, or obviously he could finish 10th because that's what he's been doing the last couple of years. So I'm most intrigued by Kirkwood because I thought this year with Kirkwood was going to be the kind of year that that would set him up for superstardom in this series. You know, maybe be like, you know, contending for the fast fast six at some races, do the kind of things that David Malukas and Christian Lundgaard did, but it didn't happen. Now, is that the team? Is that him driving a little too far over his head? Uh, did he just make mistakes? What What's the answer to that question? So I think, as you pointed out, it could be either be, you know, really good or it could be very disappointing in year two with Andretti. So, or first year with Andretti year two in the sport. So I think that's the one that, uh, that gets me, uh, you know, we we'll go back and watch races this year. I'm sure we'll pull two or three, uh, to watch individually and always the Indy 500 will sit down. I'm sure you will as well and watch that race, but is there mm-hmm. another race that you think, man, I'd just like to sit down and watch that one again. Uh, that was a good race that I don't really know how it happened or how the, where the driver came from. Is there a race you'd like to, to watch again? Uh, it might be for, Texas. Texas yeah. was a pretty good race. And we had a lot of fear coming in that that wouldn't be. And I'd kind of like to see, to make sure I remembered it correctly. But I think I recall we had a last lap pass for the win. That's one thing. But my recollection is that was a nice, entertaining race. And they efforted to create a little bit of a second line there. Uh, I don't know what the future is for that race. I don't know if they're tearing it up after next year or what, but I'm still hopeful that there's a home for IndyCar at that place. Yeah, I agree. That Texas race, we had all kinds of trepidation, not of the the safety of, of the race, but just would the entertainment value be strong. And, and I thought, and I'd have to go back and watch all of them. But as I, if you were to ask me what was the most entertaining race of the year, aside from the Indianapolis 500, I certainly would say Texas. Uh, I found that to be uh, really uh, an enjoyable watch. So uh, there's that. Uh, So maybe that was the overachiever of the year, but from a driver's standpoint, was there an overachiever of the year in your, your estimation? Um, Willpower. Maybe. I I don't, I don't know that anyone was talking about willpower before this season started, other than maybe Liz power was probably the only one that picked will to win the championship and to win it with only one win tells you how consistent he was all season. You know, going back to Malukas, maybe somebody would say it's David Malukas. I don't know if, if you can say that for somebody who finished 16th in points, uh, but you go back to the individual events and you could probably make a case for him. I don't know who, who else would you say is a, was a big overachiever, did it a lot better than what we expected. Rosenquist bounced back from the start of the season, but with that team and that car and his talent, I I think we all thought a top eight in the championship was possible for him. 
I thought McLaughlin? Two, yeah, I like yeah. I like the answer to either be McLaughlin, and you know he wins three races. Um, yeah. yep. And and the other one really is Marcus Erickson. I know that most of his points, his biggest point jump came from winning the Indianapolis 500, but he hung around for a long time and was a factor in a lot of races and was was really you know he drove from poor qualifying efforts based on teammates. He drove to some really strong results, uh, improved his position in almost every race. So uh, I thought he was consistently kind of kind of climbing the ladder, so to speak. So I'm totally with you on McLaughlin. But as you know, I've been on the Marcus Erickson bandwagon for two years now. So I won't say he overachieved. I would say I expected him to be in the mix this past year. But I get your point. So I don't know how we're doing on time, but but I would ask this. Keep rolling. I thought about as I went back and I'm looking at, you know, the top 10 stories of the year, I went back through the whole year and I found a couple things, stories that we were focused on at the start of the year that we weren't talking about at years in, it could be drivers, it could be racetracks, it could be events. What was something we were thinking about or spending some time upon early in the year that became no factor? So luckily you sent me this question earlier today so I could have a think about this one. And this is one where I almost thought I'm going to to say, I don't know. But what I came back to you after a few seconds was, you know, we talked a lot about Romain Grosjean moving to a bigger team. And we know he thought he was going to be a championship contender. And I'm going to guess when we said, who's the next one to win a race, that was pretty high on the list that it was going to be Romain, Romain Grosjean. And he's going to be in that category of people to choose from again next year. So that's probably it. Rojan was not a factor that often on race weekends. So mine, in addition to that one, I thought about that one a lot. I looked at the stories that we wrote early on and, and things we talked about. But the other one, and, and it's a very disappointing story, is is the rocket sponsorship that brought Tatiana Calderon to AJ Foyt racing. You know, it, it gave the team uh, AJ Foyt racing a, a solid sponsor after being with Bourdais last year. And, and, you know, that just kind of fell apart for the team. It was a, you know, rocket, you know, kind of reneged on several sponsorships across the sports landscape and, and that affected AJ Foyt racing. And it certainly took Tatiana out of the mix and it, it came off from the sponsorship side of, of Kyle Kirkwood's car as well. So again, we spent a lot of time kind of looking at that as a positive for AJ Foyt racing by mid season and, and the end of the season, that was, that was clearly no factor. So uh, I'm sure we'll come up with some other ones that, that were interesting, uh, I get, let me give you this one. Maybe other than Erickson winning the 500, and I say that because I think it was a surprise. What was another big surprise for you? In, in tw- was there a signature surprise of the season uh, that, that occurred? Probably McLaughlin winning from pole the season opener. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And, and it maybe even surprised him a, a little bit. I know he felt he could win, but to win in that fashion, to win on from pole – First, you got to out-qualify, who now is the greatest qualifier in the history of the sport, Will Power, and Joseph Newgarden. So you're beating two guys at the top of their game in the same car. That says something. And then to race with them in the race, and as I recall, I can pull up the box score, 
but you know it's not like a lot of people had mechanicals and because there are some races where you know maybe somebody finishes third and it's because four others that you normally would say finish in the top five have mechanicals or crash or whatever. I don't think that was the case for McLaughlin that day. He was just better than everybody else. And that got his season started. Yeah, I agree. The McLaughlin, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. And I don't think anyone else did. Uh, I would ask you about, we do the the top half. What about the most disappointing season? There's going to be a lot of them. People that didn't win races, people that didn't show very well. We talked about Calderon who didn't get to finish the season. Who else had a disappointing season in your book? Team or driver? Team or driver or team and driver. Does it need to start with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan? And then, unfortunately, Jack Harvey, who finishes 22nd in points. Now, there's an asterisk because he missed a race. Uh, So if he does that race, he could have finished 20th. He was... 49 points behind Takuma Sato. So best case, if he wins Texas, he's barely finishing ahead of Takuma Sato. And the way that was going, he wasn't going to win Texas. So he was a 20th to 22nd place car this year. And the team itself, and this is what helped, frankly helped Jack throughout the first half of the season, is that Graham Rahal wasn't any better most of the time, like always, Graham raced well and and found some spots to move forward during the race. And the highly regarded Christian Lungard had a lot of rough spots uh, to get the season started. But, you know, Graham had to kind of sprint to finish 11th in points. Lungard finished 14th. This is a team that, you know, we probably miscast and uh, misspoke on, hey, are they one of the big three or big four now? Well, you're not in that conversation when you're 11th, 14th, and 22nd, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I don't think there's anybody else that that we could single out other than, like I mentioned, the Calderon Rocket situation, which was disappointing. But but we had high hopes for the Ray Hall team, and and Jack made that transition to the team uh, from Meyer Shank Racing, and I know he would have liked that to gone better. Now I do have one other that I'm sure people would say, how can you forget about them? Andretti Autosport you would say they have a disappointing season despite what happened the year before. Uh, I think I picked Colton Herta to win the championship. And I would say, despite what happened the year before with Alexander Rossi, let me finish that thought that he wasn't a contender. I thought Rossi would contend this year and he ended up being their highest finisher in the championship at ninth and did get a win. I picked Herta to win the championship. He finished 10th also got a win. I think we all thought Grosjean would be top 10 and would probably win. He finished 13th. Devlin DeFrancesco did about, I think, what was realistic for him. He was not the lowest finishing rookie. He was better than Kyle Kirkwood. And I don't know that anybody would have picked that. I think most people would have said Devlin is going to finish behind Kyle. So I actually thought Devlin had an okay rookie season. We know this was going to be a learning experience For him, he's in the category of a bit like Benjamin Peterson. Had not knocked the socks off of everybody in Indy Lights. Hadn't won a race. Peterson has. Um, So he was just going to develop at the IndyCar level in year two and three. We're going to be better reads on where he's at. But Andretti, when you're finishing ninth, 10th, and 13th, I'm sure they feel that's disappointing. Plus, then you add in the inner turmoil that they had to go along with that. It was... 
Uh, I'm sure it was not the best of seasons for them. By the way, it did seem to finish out okay. From kind of being around it closer, I have the chance to be around it closer than most people are. I think the relationship was better between Rossi and Grosjean. And that did kind of break the ice that they started talking a little bit more and kind of saw the other guy's perspective on things and realized, "Eh, yeah, I can kind of see where he's coming from on each of those sides. I'm sure they still didn't agree with it, but that's what they've said publicly. And that's what I saw also that, that they did mend fences a little bit. And if Rossi wasn't moving on, they would have been fine continuing. Agreed with that. Uh, let's let's kind of wrap up with uh, maybe one more. And that would be, as we looked at some of these teams that struggled, you talked about Ray Hall, we've talked about Andretti, and there's probably a couple more. Foyt would be one in this category as well. What team is uh, most likely to take a jump up next year, uh, either because of the reasons we've discussed or just surely they can't be that poor again in 2023, but which team is, is pretty well positioned to, uh, or at least it projected to make a step forward in the order. Well, I'm going to go back to what we've said each of the last few years that we think Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan is a, a solid team that uh, whether they're quote, one of the big three or not, they're in the category, but I think they will make a jump up next year. I think in year two, Christian Lungard is going to consistently run inside the top 10 and is maybe going to win a race. I think Graham Rahal will be a little bit better. They've brought in some engineering depth they've talked about from the Formula One world that should have um, an impact there. I I think Jack Harvey will have a better next year. Jack Harvey's a good race car driver. It was awful, and it's probably similar to the Rosenquist adjustment. It's a different kind of a car. He's going to have to have a better year. And others have reported, I didn't get into this too much, but... Uh, it, it was being discussed. We we worried. I didn't worry as much because I felt like Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan would give him a second year. But what I don't know is what if High V said we expect more results, and what if someone there said you need to give us someone that's going to have to win, uh, or we're pulling the plug on this. So sponsors can put a lot of pressure. I don't know that Hyvie would do that. I suspect they like Jack Harvey as well. But when you, we said this this time last year, Jack Harvey was betting on himself. Jim Meyer believed in him, backed him, and then became a co-owner in the program with Michael Shank. So I felt like he was pretty safe there in that program as long as Jim Meyer was involved. And for multiple reasons, he decided he needed to go somewhere else. But with that, he was going to have to produce because the relationship was no longer going to matter. When you get hired, when you're not bringing budget at all, you must produce. And unfortunately, whether it's his fault or not, there were not positive results this year. So with that, I think there will be. I think Jack Harvey will step it up, will run up near the front, and that team will be much better. And the other one I would say is, you know, as strong as they were at times, I I, I feel pretty certain that Errol McLaren SP is going to have someone finish better than eighth in the championship next year. Pretty, pretty unbelievable that that was the case, uh, that they were that deep in the order. The team that I, I think, and we don't talk about them a whole lot, but a team that, that should make a, an impact 
in 2023 is Meyer Shank Racing. I think the second year of this two-car operation, yeah, uh, Simon Pagina will be better in 2023. I would expect Elio uh, that that just kind of to feel more like what we would expect from two guys that have won an awful lot of races in their career. And, and uh, so I would expect that team to be a little more noise-making. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll hear from them a little bit more in, than we did in 2023 because, honestly, I'm not sure where we really felt like they were in contention to win a race. Uh, they were better at some places, but they weren't really in getting a call. That's what you guys call it. it, it they, were, they weren't getting a call from the broadcasters that this could be a, a race win. And so I think that would be a team that, that I would hope uh, would kind of take a step up. And, I, and, you know, another team that didn't really, you know, make as much noise as what we would have expected is Ed Carpenter's team. Uh, VK didn't have the kind of year he had in the past. Connor Daly uh, surely left with a with a disappointment uh, for, for the season. And Ed didn't show much on the ovals either. Uh, so I think Ed Carpenter's team could be another team that that, that probably would – you know, even if they climbed one more position as an organization and made more noise, uh, that would be a good step for them. Yep. All good stuff. All right. Uh, coming up in just a moment, we haven't gotten into this yet. It's the gift that keeps on giving to journalists and message boarders and the Twitter sphere. There's more details on Alex Pelot's contract. We'll get into that coming up in a moment. Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, we still have a lot to cover, and we're running out of time, but we'll keep up the pace. And uh, as always, we have next week and the week after, and a lot of time before we get to another racing event coming up in 2023. But we've got some extra uh, on-track sessions that are confirmed. Kurt, spring training is back. Yeah, it is back, and it's going to the Thermal Club which is outside of Palm Springs, California. I can't give you the exact dateline, but it's outside of, of Palm Springs and it's a club track, um, you know, a thing for rich guys. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. And it's not a spectator event. Uh, it's not a spectator facility. Unless you so, want to join the club, which might be pricey. <laughs> it might be pricey. So we'll see how this works out. It gives a you know, a road course with a kind of flat, you know, street course kind of feel but you know we'll have to see what the what the teams and and drivers think in terms of preparation for the season but honestly there are not a lot of places that afford you the opportunity to do the kind of testing you want at that time of the year so what is that february two and three mm-hmm. and uh so that'll be good and you'll you'll grab all your content that you'll start to see from for um different video production work and and that'll be done in conjunction with that event. So a good to have spring training back. And and it's somewhat a market that you race in. It's within, I'm going to guess a couple of hours of Los Angeles. You know, it's San Diego is closer than that, but it's Southern California. So uh, the Los Angeles media can come down and do some things that they want to do to help promote that event. IndyCar can help promote that event as well. You know, there aren't, as you said, a lot of great areas to do it. You can you can do Sebring, but you can't do the other things you need to do at Sebring. And I'm going to assume that they can still do content day there and get some of that knocked out before. Uh, and potentially it grows. 
So there have been some hints that maybe there could be a race there. I I personally have not heard this. So this is I I brought this up. I threw out Thermal along with a couple of others uh, a couple of months ago when we heard that spring training was coming back. And and I mentioned it in part because I knew someone was efforting this a couple of years ago. So I knew it was on the radar, but I didn't know at that time then it was done. And then a couple of days later, I knew it was done and happy to hear that. I've heard mentioned a potential race. I've not heard that, but it's possible. They do have some other ideas to grow this event as still a spring training event and do something with the members. And I don't know all the details and I won't get into even what I know at this point. So when I saw the track president in a racer.com article hinted at something bigger along the way, it's possible there's something bigger that doesn't include a race. Now, I will hope that it's a race because that's a great market. And we've been saying, boy, it'd be great if you could just start the season earlier and have somewhere to go and a great market where people would like to visit and you've got wealth in the area. Frankly, you've got a wealth, a lot of wealth right there at the club. We're always talking about trying to find new potential owners for IndyCar. Some of them are right there at the Thermal Club running their sports cars on weekends for fun. And they're, these are the types that could get involved. Uh, Don Cusick, who we talked about earlier, is a member at the Thermal Club. So you already have some connections. I believe that's where Stefan Wilson met Don a few years ago and, and started that relationship. So I'd love for there to be a race there. They need to build in some more infrastructure, but they're already upgrading the facility to make it FIA grade two so it can accommodate IndyCar. So this is good. We got the IndyCar uh, Indy 500 open test, April 20th and 21st. It said that that should be the entire field. So that's good. It's been thrown out there. Could it happen in early May? Maybe, maybe not. I'd love it to be, you know, in May. We had that because of weather one year, but there may be a reason why it can't be in May. And you start looking at logistics and dates and other things along with that. But whatever, it's still close enough to May that we're going to enjoy that. And then an official test is before WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Saves everybody a trip out there. So everybody will test on the Thursday before the championship weekend. So that is good on that front. The repaving Laguna Seca. I see they've started the repave for Road America right now. Kyle Kirkwood on his Twitter made reference of a mid-Ohio pave. Do we know anything about that? And I, I saw some people ask about that. So I don't know if Kyle was getting confused with road America, or maybe he knows something that we don't, that would surprise me a little bit. Not that it couldn't be repaved, but I hadn't heard anything of that, but we at least have two that are, are getting uh repaved for next year. And if we're going to talk about scheduling, I'll just throw this out there. I don't think we're going to have time to get into all of the things happening at NASCAR, but I saw that uh, Steve Phelps, the, the NASCAR president, I think is his title. Yes. He's certainly the head of NASCAR said today at an event, the 2024 schedule will be the most aggressive when it comes to schedule variation. Meaning, you know, you think we shook things up this year, adding a street race in Chicago and doing some different things. Uh, hang on, 2024. And and the reason I mention this, because the NASCAR schedule impacts the IndyCar schedule. Um, I guess the other thing I would throw out there is a lot of us have been surprised about the blatant criticism by drivers of NASCAR 
you did not hear that back in the day. But Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick are going off. And Denny Hamlin especially has questioned leadership. And I was talking about this with some other people a couple of weeks ago. And, and you know, back in the day, you didn't do that because you feared you would never get through tech again. And notice that it hasn't gone well for Kevin Harvick's team here recently. But here was, I, I didn't think of this, but this was presented to me. And it makes a little bit of sense. Denny knows that he's got something on his side. You know what it is? No. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, yeah, yeah. He brought Michael Jordan to the sport. And it's probably in NASCAR's best interest not to pick on Michael Jordan or he will take his ball and go home. So Denny Hamlin likely feels emboldened and then he's got to get out a, a jail free card. And I think it's Jordan's, the guy that's running the program. I, I don't, I forget his name, but he's been the most outspoken that the revenue sharing needs to change. That in the next TV contract, the teams need to get a much larger cut. Right now, it's sixty-five percent of the eight point two billion dollars over the ten-year program goes to the tracks. Another what? 10% goes to NASCAR. Now, keep in mind, half the tracks are owned by NASCAR. So that's a big chunk of that. And they want to not be so dependent on sponsorship. And people are already throwing out there that, hey, they may have a split. Well, and I don't see any way of that. It's not been that long ago. People remember history. But there are some issues, and and namely starting with safety right now. This isn't – NASCAR didn't do this on purpose, it just did not go well. This car is not safe enough, and they are in the process of making changes, but it's not going to happen until next year, and they're just going to have to hold their breath that there aren't more concussions because hits that seemed innocuous in the past are knocking people out for multiple races, and we don't know if we'll see Kurt Busch again because of of what happened there. Um, all right, I'll touch on real quick here. Nathan Brown uncovered this. We talked about this as recently as last week. We don't know where the Alex Pillow contract ends. Uh, there was the Chris Medlin story about four, about Pillow heading there in 24. And I said, you know, Chris is probably right. But until we get confirmation of what that contract is, and when he's free, we don't know that. Well, it looks like Chris is right, as we suspected he was. Nathan Brown of the Indy Star says contract ends September of 2023 and until september 2nd he is not allowed to negotiate with others prior to that (laughs) okay pretty pretty deep in the in the silly season isn't it how how does that work because he negotiated with another team this past year and may already have an agreement as as soon as this ends uh nathan's reporting and this is uh open records from the lawsuits file that he he dug up uh It confirms this story does why Ganassi kept him in the car at Toronto because there was concern about a potential breach on the Ganassi side. We speculated that. That made a lot of sense. Also, they found that Ganassi could have terminated him after one year at the end of 2021, which turned out to be a championship year. Uh, Otherwise, it's two years with a third year team option. And that's not surprising at all. As we've said, Pelot was coming in with no leverage finishing 18th in the championship and was going to sign whatever was offered to him. And that's fairly standard as well. Hey, you finish 18th in our program. You're not coming back for year two. Obviously quite early on, they knew he was going to be 
invited back. And the contract also did not allow for any other racing activities without Chip Ganassi racing approval. So that obviously has been a provision because he has been twice now in a Formula One car. And what an interesting dynamic. You know, he, he wasn't allowed to get the same, couldn't look at data at home and things like that. He is uh, working with the enemy, right? That's right. <laughs> so how's this going to go? I don't know. He tested this week uh, the Formula One car, the McLaren, as did Pato Award at uh, at the Red Bull ring So in Austria. So they're on the path. It does appear like it's headed that way in 2024, but 2023 is still going to be interesting. That is a long, lame duck season. All right, we'll see what we missed and check into some tweets up next on Trackside. Okay, final segment and to the Twitter inbox from Bunchy CB. Chad asks, is the Foyt team in trouble? The sponsor issue and Kellett announcement have me concerned. Uh, no, I actually think the AJ Foyt team is in better shape than they've been in a couple of years. So the sponsor issue you're talking about, Rocket, and AJ Foyt Racing uh, is one of many that was impacted. There's a, a story that I've seen circulated, I think, Matt Archuleta found it first yesterday, the documents. Basically, the people, well, I would say duped, uh, but maybe that's not fair, but they have not fulfilled agreements in many cases. The Williams Formula One team, NFL teams, NBA teams, the, the list is long. So certainly that hurt immensely last year, but the fact that they were able to, to finish the season, yes, the Tatiana Calderon car didn't finish, but that was supposed to go towards some of the Kyle Kirkwood funding and uh, others stepped up and helped. And they're in better position now because the Benjamin Peterson family is going to bring a link to pretty solid budget. So that car is fully funded, probably better funded than any Foyt car has been for a little while, maybe since ABC Supply was fully on board, maybe even better than that, I believe Santino Ferrucci still has some sponsors attached to him. Uh, so, no, I, I think showing the fact that they didn't just say, Dalton, whatever you have, we'll take it, shows that that team is in a little better situation. And as I said before, it may be somewhat mutual. Uh, the, the Kellett family may have decided, you know what, this isn't working for either one of us. We'll look and see if we can do something else. Maybe sports cars. Maybe it's an end of racing for Dalton. Uh, I hope not because I really like Dalton and he's been really refreshing and he's fantastic to give his uh, analytical perspective and his engineering TikToks, which luckily he posts sometimes on Twitter because I don't see TikTok. But no, I think they're in, in pretty decent shape. Will they make a big step up the uh, the box score this year? I don't know, but I think they've got a, a better chance to do so. From Chris... Is there any way NBC can incorporate the Delta Force theme in their Indy 500 coverage? Coming in for, uh, from breaks would be perfect if they won't use it in the opening tees. I'm sure they could. I don't know if that's a plan, if that's an option. You know, I, I just will say this. The people who do, for example, the opening tees, these are creative types, and generally creative types like to 
create on their own rather than borrow something that's been done. So it's uh, always a possibility. And as a bumper, yeah, that might be kind of cool. So maybe we can throw that in there to slide it in. But, you know, unfortunately, the audience under 40 isn't going to really make the connection with that and maybe less than that. But it's something to think of, and, and maybe you'll see it down the road. I'll, I'll try to make a suggestion of that if I have a chance. Uh, and then there's Tony Stewart's tweet tonight. We were talking about NASCAR's uh, issues and dramas going on, and his team was heavily fined again today. And I think that's about 300 k over the last week or so. NASCAR fined Colt Custer 100000 Docked him 50 points. The crew chief fined, suspended indefinitely. They basically think Cole Custer, and they have some audio, too, of him being told his brakes are a problem, slow down, and that basically set a pick for Chase Briscoe to go around. Uh, Tony's tweet tonight was, looking for a new weekend hobby, something not Southeastern-based, if anyone has any ideas, something low drama and relaxing, preferably. Probably just a joke, but uh, worth mentioning. Okay, we're out of time. We'll see you next Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Doug Bowles in studio for Kurt and Josh. I'm Kevin. Thanks for joining us tonight.